I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Realwatersports.com is our beloved sponsor today. You know them. You love them. I'm sure that you've been to their website by now. And what they're known for, really, is their surfboard inventory and doing really great reviews of all of their surfboards. Real Water Sports just took inventory of 50 Maurice Cole surfboards. Of course, I've talked about the Roger Hines time machine that he and I were working on. It's a board design that he and I were working on that he has delivered to Real Water Sports. I think there's a couple of those left, so go check those out. And, of course, they also stock board bags, fins, leashes, all the gear that you would need for surfing in general. So go check them out for anything and everything that you need, and also because they're such a great retail partner for us here on Surf Splendor. So, realwatersports.com. Enjoy. It is our 400th episode, if you can believe that. And that's just of Surf Splendor, by the way. We've got hundreds of episodes, of course, of Spit and the Grit, uh, probably verging on a thousand in total. Uh, Probably within this year, I would think we'll hit that mark. Anyways, I would love to be able to throw a party for this 400th celebration. Um, At the bare minimum, just create some sort of a celebratory graphic for social media. But to be honest, 
Who has time for any of that? I'm just having a hard time keeping up with our regular recording and publishing schedule, much less promote these individual episodes. So no time to party, but this is just a subtle nod of acknowledgement and gratitude for being able to do this work and a gratitude for you. Um, it's also kind of worth acknowledging that particularly good episodes or resonant episodes tend to land on milestones. That happened again this year with Alex Gray's epic tale of being quarantined on cloud break to kick off 2022. Or in years past, uh, Derek Hines' episode was the first of the year. Dick Metz' series was all kind of right at the end and the beginning of the year. And so the alignment of those important episodes, the ones that become everyone's favorite, aligning with milestones are completely happenstance. And so it is with this 400th episode and fan favorite, Salema Masakela. It's been two years since our last one-on-one chat. In that time, he has somehow reversed aged. He's launched a clothing brand, a book, a podcast, and he commentated surfing's debut at the Olympics this past summer. So today we catch up on all that stuff and he blueprints his recipe for wise wellness as he embarks in his sixth decade of life. Of course, we've linked to everything on surfsplendorpodcast.com, where you can also sign up to be a supporter of our work here for $5 a month. It is the foundation of our business, and it allows us to maintain our independence, a critical and long-needed business model for surf media. Anyways, my name is David Scales, and today I present to you our 400th episode of Surf Splendor with fan favorite, musician, producer, entrepreneur, TV and podcast host, Salema Masakela. Enjoy. Salema, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me, sir. It's nice to be back on the show. I was actually surprised. Why? Is I was that? like, what does this guy want with me again? <laughs> we just did this. No, we didn't. It's been a very long time. How long has it been? Well, for you and I sitting here, yeah. it's probably been, when did your dad die? It was right after your dad died. So two years ago? My dad died four years ago. Four years ago in February. And so maybe we, I guess we were about a year yeah. I think it was January. There was no COVID the first time we did this, right? There definitely was no COVID. So I want to say it was 2019, the beginning of 2019. Yeah, that makes sense. So it'd be almost three years that ago. That also makes you appreciate the time-space continuum of a pandemic. Because I, I, can't, I can't tell time. Like, especially, like, anything after, yeah, like, early 2019... 2019 becomes kind of a it's a, true a hazy blur well to think that that conversation was three years ago that's wild is insane that's wild and then we did have the one covid era conversation with uh ryan with ryan harris at his shop yeah which was at a very pivotal time in the world and even since then a lot has changed Mm. And you've uh, accomplished a lot, which is the point of this conversation, actually. Uh. <laughs> you've you've uh, got a lot of endeavors in between now and then. But here's where I want to start the conversation. Um, how do you feel about turning 50? I feel better now about turning 50 than I did when I was turning 50. No one 
no one prepares you for like this. At least for me, it was like this very long walk of my life. As 50 was approaching, it was suddenly like all of these like these vignettes of how we got here. Um, through all different aspects, you know, like a look into my youth in a way that I hadn't gotten access to in a, in a while. Um, yeah, like, you know, reckoning with shit. And um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of midlife crisis, but just midlife. Like, I believe that it's not a crisis. It's just more like a process. And, yeah, midlife process is a real thing. And you just have to take stock of it. There, there's, you know, this is the, the second act in this journey. And there's two acts. You know, uh, two, maybe two halves, if you will. Uh, maybe, obviously, various acts. And I don't know, just... Uh, it was it was a trip to getting walking into it, and then on the back end, it's been amazing, like a real ease, um, and a lot of acceptance of self. You know, a lot of like maybe stop trying to change the things about yourself that you don't like, and come into acceptance of them, uh, and just you know help them to understand that like these are the parts that will be taking it from here um i think i spent so much of my uh my 40s trying to fix shit like trying to fix or like hack away at um the parts that i didn't like and now it's just like i am who i am and i, I can modulate the levels of what voices and what parts of me um, are the, the, the most pronounced. And so like, that's, that's the work that I find myself in now. Also, like, I th you start to come into wisdom. I feel like you've been in, investing in this account that you can't touch for a very long time. Um, and you're unaware that that's, you've been making these, these deposits and then suddenly, like, after 50, it was like, oh, access. And suddenly, like, a real understanding of, like, the difference between knowledge, like, knowing shit, and wisdom. And starting to, like, build relationship um, with wisdom, which is, I, I really don't think I knew, I'd, I'd known anything about it before then. I still don't, but, yeah, like, yeah. I'm getting to know. Which probably that might help you reconcile the things that you were trying to fix before because you're trying to fix them because you thought they were problematic. But I think wisdom allows you to understand like they served a purpose, yes. you know, and they're part of you and all that kind of stuff Yeah. without having resentment for them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is new. It's a, uh, it, it takes a load off. Also therapy. I was going to say, <laughs> that's actually what I was going to ask you is what type of work allows you to have those insights? Because by the way, three years ago when we had the conversation, I started by reading you an Instagram post, which was kind of about you having an epiphany that mm. you explained was through kind of a plant-based medicine, I think is what we called it. And um, we can call it what it is. I don't know what it is. Ayahuasca. Okay. Yeah. At the, yeah. It was, it, I went on an ayahuasca journey. 
and so that was therapy as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how much of that is part of this journey or what exactly are you referring to as therapy now? I kind of throw the, I I throw the kitchen sink at me, you know, not limited in, in, in trying different types of shit. So traditional therapy, I go and see a therapist. Um, when I'm home once weekly, um, just feels right. Sometimes, twice a month, but never less than twice a month. In perpetuity, not just for something that you're going through? Yeah. I'm, I've chosen to go back to it until I don't feel the, the active need. But I think I treated therapy, going to see a therapist before, like something was wrong with me. And so once it was like, oh, I think I got a hold of this. I'm good now. Um, I was, you know, back in, into life and I think it was a wrong way to look at it before. Now I just see it as something that we all need in various ways. You get it how you get it in, but like actual regular paying attention to your mental health in the same way that you do your physical health and getting sleep and what you're eating and all those other things. I think the mental emotional part I, I'm is is priority now in a way that I didn't understand before and that it's okay to just have a regular relationship with with therapy. It makes everything else better. Mm. So yeah, into perpetuity for sure. Um and then it's like other things. It's 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 microdosing. Um um with psilocybin and figuring out how that works for me. It, I did an, another ayahuasca journey um, recently, like a retreat for a few days. And super, super helpful. I, I, those things to me, like, like, like for me, plant medicine and, and going and having those experiences, those aren't the fix. Those are the lens into the work that needs to be done. And that's... I think sometimes people think like, oh, you, I just go and you and I can, I'm going to trip out and I'll be, I'll be cleared or if, and if I don't, I don't feel cl- uh, cleared or fixed, like I do it again and again. No. Like for me, it's just like a very, 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 like a hall of mirrors that you cannot, there's no angle that you can escape from. And then from there, like, all right, this is the direction, this is the work that I need to go in. How long does that feeling stay with you, though? Or do you have to revisit it? It's got a long tail. Okay. And it shows up in different ways. Like, I'm definitely still still in the midst of it, and I have, like, the awareness. Like, there's a, a ton of writing that I, that you, that I do or you do, you do in the wake of it. So it's going back to that. Um, and... Um, yeah, just being aware of like what's going on, how you how I react and respond to things. Um, Does so that sounds like an intense experience, obviously. Mm. Does the microdosing tap you back into it? I think it doesn't tap you back into it uh, from like a heavy psychedelic uh, end, but I think it definitely taps you back into like clarity. Okay. Uh, 
I've not done either of those things, mm. but my understanding just from listening to you and other people talk about it, it feels like that is the clear state. You have new insights, shed the ego kind of a thing. And then when you go through your daily life, you start layering on all the bull crap again. Mm. And so is that kind of what that's, it feels? That's a perfect way uh, to put it for okay. sure. Yeah. Cause life is, life is not that, <laughs> but through therapy, surfing, exercise, diet, you hope to keep the bull crap out, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I hope to keep, um, I hope to keep it at bay from like dominating the conversation. Like these are all the things that, that I, that I do, um, with a knowledge of myself, like I need to be doing all these things. Otherwise I can, you know, descend. Um, very, very prone to self-sabotage. Mm. Very much prone to, um, you know, not believing that I deserve to be where I'm at in certain parts of my life. That's all shit that, like, you know, working through from childhood issues and stuff. Like, the older you get, the more the fucking little kid you shows up. Strange. You know? It's really, really strange. I mean. Or maybe it was always there. You just weren't identifying. It was acting yeah. out. Yeah. Without you knowing. Definitely. I mean, it's always been there. But be able to come into, like, the heavy awareness of it. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. Um, both shocking and a relief. To be right. like, oh, yeah, this is, you've always been you. So why <laughs> why are you surprised? Right. They're, they're called the formative years for a, for an actual reason. Scary how formative those five years are. You mm. Know? Mm. Um, yeah. I have a totally different perspective on it now, obviously, having a kid. Like, but yeah. Um, and when I say shed the bull crap, it certainly is what you're talking about, like childhood, but it also is just like, driving on the 405 every day, dealing with traffic, dealing with your work obligations and all that kind of stuff. People. It really does. We're not living in a bucolic, you know, forest in nature, being able to surf every day. We have real obligations that are kind of contrary to, I think, our childhood desires or what yeah. we wanted to do. And they come with a lot of stress and anxiety that I think triggers those other things that you're talking about. You, you you speak like someone who has a PhD in the uh, in the subject, but no, Just, it's 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 accurate. You know, yeah. it's 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 also come like for me, it's like being okay with like there are things that I do to serve others' interests, and that don't don't necessarily support all of my priorities. That's okay. Like you do what you have to to do what you want to. Okay. In so in so long that you're not going against yourself. Okay, because I just entered my 40s, mm. and you talked about in your 40s things that you were doing wrong. In my 40s, I'm feeling resentment towards what you just said. The people that I'm servicing, which may in turn be helping me get where I want, I'm feeling resentment towards those obligations. Mm. You know, like, hey, I've worked hard. I just want to do what I want to do now, and not necessarily feeling gratitude for being able to do those things. It's real, man. It's a real thing. Especially, I think when you um, when you are the captain of the ship and also like washing the deck, 
and, you know, doing all of the things to keep this thing moving forward. You know, that's a choice that you've made in belief of your, in, within yourself and what you have to give that like, okay, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go and check in um, mm-hmm. and punch a clock and be dictated to entirely in, in, in what doing a job means. It's a trade-off though, <laughs> right? It's a, totally. it's, it's a trade-off and it's, it's learning. I, I think, I don't know if we talked about this in, in, in our first conversation, but like for me, the most important word that I learned in my 40s was no. That was like, like the sword in the stone, like no. And utilizing it for me and not being intimidated by um, making others feel bad because of saying no. And as I stepped more and more into the power of what that is, then it, it, it's made it easier for me to choose, to actively choose like, okay, that's not the thing I necessarily want to be doing, but by doing such, I get to do this. So I'm not going into it with a chip on my shoulder. And I, that, that has come from stepping into the power of no. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a active, it's a continued sort of active uh, process. Right. But it's cool, man. No is cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm. It sounds cool. I'm not at that point yet. And it's scary. I think I say no on a social level now, and especially having a kid and stuff, you can just use that as an excuse. Yeah, easy. Like all we want to do is stay home. But professionally, I'm used to taking every opportunity possible. And going as hard as possible. And yeah, you find yourself doing things that actually aren't even worth your time. You know? And heavily depleted and sitting. That's the other problem. Depleted yeah. and sitting in resentment. Yeah. And resentment is like. Resentment like builds like real, real like fatigue. Totally. You know, like at a. At a set, like a central nervous system type fatigue. And that's when everything else starts shutting down and you become unaware of how much of a dick you are in your relationships, et cetera. You know, my, 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 my girlfriend says to me sometimes, like, she'll just look at me and be like, whatever it was that you were just doing or you were, you were talking about on that call has you in a place right now. Mm. And I'll be like, huh? And I'll, you, you stop and you, you realize like, holy shit, yeah, none of that served me. Mm-hmm. And now as a result, you're getting the um, the feedback yeah. from it. Let's go back to 50 real quick. I mm-hmm. wanted to, because we started last time with me reading you an Instagram post, I'm going to read you one too. Receipts. Another one. It says, uh, I possess no illusion. By the way, when did you turn 50? August 28th. Oh, okay. Because this was posted on January 9th, so I thought your birthday might be... No. In January. That's the thing about 50. <laughs> you get to dance in it and, and come to uh, all the revelations for the entire year. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. I thought it was more recent. But this post from January said, I possess no illusion that I'll be able to chase the pursuits of my childhood forever. That said, I'm never going to stop working to make the most of my body that I have now, today, every day. I'm 50. This shit's hard. Choosing to engage in movement requires more. 
Discipline and nutrition requires more. Mental and emotional health requires so much more. At the end of the day, nothing beats the joy of still being here, uh, able to make the most of what I'm given. Keep going. Hold the standard. Um, it seems like you have a, maybe not in the last year, but in the last few years, a newfound commitment to um, athleticism, athletics, working out. What do you do? Yeah, I am. Um Every day is, is a battle. Every is it really? Yeah. That was my follow-up question. How long is it, or how hard is it to maintain the motivation? Because when I first saw you going hard, I'm like, cool, we see this on everybody's Instagram post. We'll see where you are in three months. Yeah. It's three years probably now. You yeah. Know? It's, um, it's a lot harder to, to, to choose to do the work in my backyard than it is to throw a board in the car and go surfing. But the more that I choose to do the work in the backyard, the more valuable my experiences are when I go surfing, when I go snowboarding, when I go to the skate park. I'm, 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 in the last six, seven years, I think it's really the first time that I've actually learned how my body works. Like actually get, gotten knowledge in how, how I function physically and then how that relates to all the rest of me. I never had that before. Don't Going, you wish you would have done it when you were 20, dude? I mean, don't I mean, I, I didn't either. But. I went to the gym um, strictly for like a, how how can I look? Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. How many curls do I need to do for a girl to pay attention to me at the bar? Like, yeah. I'll do all those. Right. But the idea of actually training in a way to support these things that we do, that are our lives. Um, there was none of that. And it also, like, culturally, it just wasn't cool. It's true. You know, you look at Taylor Knox, the, like, original sort of, like, goat of going to the gym. People behind his back snickered and talked shit about, like, is being like a tour jock and the fact that he would go and train with the Chargers and see what the Padres were doing. And he was building relationships with pro athletes and, and applying that to himself in his 30s, mm -hmm. late 20s. He was like one of the first dudes to be like yoga all day and screaming it loud from the treetops. Made people mad uncomfortable. How's it, how's it working out for Taylor? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty damn good. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it just wasn't cool. So every people who who did train were rather secretive about it. It just wasn't a part of our culture, um, and so in turn, it, you know, just didn't. It just wasn't a part of the conversation for me. But once I discovered it, and that was totally from a non-action sports end. It was like actually getting to know people who practice fitness. I didn't know that practicing fitness was a could be a lifestyle. And learning new, acquiring new skills that in turn give you different feedback when you go out and play and do the things you love. I didn't understand that relationship of it for, for people in the general population. Like, unless it was like a high, like a, a pro athlete, you yeah. looked and you marveled at him. But everybody at the gym was just like trying to look cool. You know? So, um, yeah, for me, that's been like, a dance through CrossFit, uh, jiu-jitsu, um, 
you know, I, I do, I practice something called Delta Bravo in my backyard. That's functional fitness with body weight, dumbbells, kettlebells, um, a little bit of barbell work. It's going on my run hikes um, and doing interval work in the mountains. It's riding a mountain bike. So it's, it's cardio and strength training. Yeah. And yeah. a wide mix of how to do both things. Yeah, and mobility. And mobility, okay. There's an app called Romwod, R-O-M-W-O-D. That's my, that's my baby. Okay. It's like taking a, a you know, any, anywhere from like a 25 to 45 minute mobility class and long hold, active stretch, stretching, but very passive long holds where you just got to like sink into the meditation of it. Okay. Usually a light sample of the fine herb to get me relaxed, like literally like just a hit of a joint and I, and I go sit in it and um, it's amazing. And the feedback is the feedback is huge. And it's, yeah, it's just realizing that, like, when I go on, on like, Mark Acalupo's IG and I see this 55-year-old guy ripping, backdooring slabs and, you know, still, like, very, very much charging and, and like, no handing, you know, backhand barrels uh, in, in waves of, of, of consequence or I see what Curran's doing still or we we think about like what uncle mike ho like i watched that wave a hundred times that he just got at back door the other day and it's a 64 year old man and you're like okay i'm not going to do that per se but what's my that and why am i not pursuing this thing with the with the idea of like yeah i'm going to I'm going to surprise myself and in turn everybody else by what I'm capable of. Do you think you're surfing as well now as you have in the past? Or do you think your best surfing's ahead of you? I think my best surfing is ahead of me. Yeah, I think it could be too. I think so much of the type of surfing I was doing was to try to impress a handful of people, either out in the water or whatever. That's gone. And so I, I, I'm very much more enjoying the relationship and function of how to surf. Yeah, exactly. I didn't, I, you know, I hung out with, with, I got to know Brad Gerlach in the late 90s we met, like 96, 97. Like I'd seen him around town in North County, but we finally like met and got cool with each other one day out at Swami's because we had mutual friends. And he used to, he, he was very, very early on talking about the stuff that he's doing now in Wave Key. Um, and I would listen with like one ear and then, um, he would give me certain techniques that made a huge difference for me, um, that I would employ, but it wasn't like a study. Now this is the first time in my life where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm down the study, like ego gone out of the way, like study the thing. Like you look at what, yes, he is the goat, but what Kelly is doing um, in the water is beyond the call of, of phenomenal for like mankind, for like for humankind. And when it comes to possibility for, for being able to continue to perform at what you love, you know, you just, this dude won his first pipe masters in 92. He just won another one. 
even though it's technically technically not called the Masters. I don't know why. It's a Pipeline Pro. Pipeline Pro. Come on, Bill. <laughs> Come on, Bill. Like, it's a Pipeline Professional now. What? What in the world? But um, that was one of the greatest sports performances that we're ever going to see. Like this dude just went out and manhandled his kids. Like he's a bunch of the best in the world that mathematically could be his children. Not like oh, yeah. a bunch of kids, like randoms. No. The best in the world that could also be his children. And he decidedly outperformed them. It's all that wisdom. It Hon- is. Honestly, I think that is the wisdom that you were talking about when you're turning 50. Like having all of that, obviously some of it's ocean knowledge, but a lot of it is just not being distracted by the bull crap. Yeah. Him being able just to kind of hone all that focus. He also stopped trying to chase what they were doing in the last few years. He stopped trying to look like he could be them. Well, he might not be able to be them at lowers. Yeah. But he could he's the best at eight foot barreling waves. Absolutely. No and he's also like the best in the pocket that there is. And he's just sat and and revolutionized um, his board design to uh, to be applicable to what he does that no one else can do. Mm-hmm. And now it looks really cool on those surfboards mm-hmm. in a way that it doesn't look for everybody else. So, and it didn't look cool for a while. Yeah. like, But he did the work in front of us to get there, which yeah, is, true. you know, not in private, like private testing. No, literally the first time he's taking out a board often is yes. in a heat. And yeah. is a heat or in front of a camera. Oh yeah, um, and it's uh, it's crazy. But again, anyway, like when you have those active examples in your spaces, like that gets me excited. Yep. Like again, like I, we, none of us are going to do that level. But what's your, what does that look like for for you? Like what what place are you allowed to sort of get out of your own way, push yourself, and know that you are able. Um talking about wave key and before we got on air, I was talking about not having surfed a lot lately, but Mm. it being more, uh, certainly more meaningful, but also like somehow you get better at it when you're not surfing as frequently. Mm. If I'm surfing all the time or when I was surfing all the time in my twenties, you're, you just, um, develop bad habits and then you continually practice these bad habits over and over and you never really take time to assess what you're doing or why you're doing it. But I'll be doing wave key, super simple, like the pop-up, you know? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the session, I have soreness and muscles that I never used before. And I'm like, I get up on a surfboard all the time. Why is this muscle sore? I was getting up wrong. Right. And also, are you getting up on a surfboard all the time? Probably not. You're right. The repetition of the wave key is way more than I'm... Yeah. How many times do you get up in a great session? If you catch... 10 waves in a session, totally. you're like... <clears throat> I'm going in at that point. <laughs> killing it out here, yeah. right? You, but you, you activate that movement 100 times in a session of, of doing wave key. Totally. And doing so statically and having to stay there and know what it feels like. And you're building this muscle memory that suddenly, like, I laugh sometimes when I do it right. Like, my backhand has always been my Achilles heel, especially taking off in critical waves. Like I just didn't have that part. I've never had that part down and like happy accidents. 
started applying the stuff that Brad was doing. And I just, I'm not intimidated now. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to cook out. I'm like, oh, right. I, I know how to make adjustments. And in turn, the flow of the experience of the wave is so much better. And I'm kicking out with a smile, reflecting on like, oh, that's why. I didn't, like you said, I wasn't doing any of that in my mm -hmm. 20s or 30s. Or even in my, you know, early 40s. Um, but I'm definitely in, a, in that space now. And I just, I think to your point, the appreciation of, of a good wave is so much more than it was when I was a kid. I was surfing in Palos Verdes on the last really good swell. And I looked and I had a feeling, I was like, oh, here's what the tide's doing. I saw that it was closing out most everywhere and I went to a place that I won't name and I got there and there was like five dudes out and it was pumping. And I knew that some of them were going to vibe me for paddling out because they were probably shocked that there was no one out either. But anyway, long story short, I was just kind of patient and then I just, I got a, one deep one under the ledge and did three of the best turns that I've done in years. Paddled back out and just sat there and I, I di actually didn't have any needed desire to like throw myself back into the fracas. Yeah. Just kind of sat, watched people surf, reflected on what happened, took some notes and then caught a few more waves. I like six or seven waves that session. I remember all of them. Yep. Now, you know what I mean? And I look forward to sort of picking up where... Now I, I look forward to picking up where I left off from a session, being able to, like, reflect a little bit more. And it feels much more like play. It feels way, way, way much more like play than it did when it's, like, competing for reputation in the water and or whatever sort of residuals you get on land. Yeah. When you're, you remember the first time you've been to a, you went to a buffet in Vegas <laughs> <laughs> and you're like prime rib, crab leg, yeah. um, give me an omelet, creme brulee, put it all on one plate together. That's what it's like when you're 20, you know? And it's like you get 100 waves a session, you're still not happy. Yeah, you're pissed. Dude! Because I didn't do better than I did yesterday. Yeah. And so now it's like, nope, you know what? Tonight, I'm just going to have the crab. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. And I'm not going to stuff myself because I'll feel crappy tomorrow. Yeah. Um, the wave key thing. So I have identified I am doing everything wrong. And I'm the reason I'm feeling strain in new muscles I was supposed to be doing it this way and I've never done it this way. So this is a new sensation. Mm. Go out there and apply it and wrap in my twenties. I would get up, wiggle as fast as I could to try to do an air reverse on the end section, mm -hmm. which I couldn't do anyways. And it looks terrible the entire time. Now it's like, no, I'm focusing on sliding into position to my feet and just this one bottom turn, mm. you know? Mm. And what then ends up happening, the result is, setting a good bottom turn, you then find yourself in a top arc, coming out of a top arc before you know it because you're right. still thinking about the bottom you're turn. You're like, whoa, I'm, I'm here. And then you remember everything Taylor Knox said 20 years ago, which was like it's all kind of based on the bottom turn. Yeah. And then you just find yourself with good form. Setting up that first intention, good form, allows you to do everything else right. And so, yeah, I can relate to what you're saying where you do kick out of a wave and you're like, the fact that I just 
executed the fundamentals that I was practicing at home for a while, mm. this session's a win. And I yeah. appreciate it. It feels good. Back to basics. Forgot about the air reverse. I haven't even thought about an air reverse in 10 years, you know? Back to basics. Yeah. You know, you, you, you watch an event competitively and, you know, you, 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 you hear commentators talking about that person's late or they were behind it. And it always comes back to the takeoff mm -hmm. and what happened um, if with or without a bottom turn or what they had to do to get to a section and just playing catch up, playing catch up. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like you said now, like being in, in position to be like the start of the wave, I'm going to enjoy this and not think about doing a turn. Actually, my bottom turn is the turn. Mm -hmm. And being deliberate about that. Oh, so much more fun. And if you do it, it then puts you into these positions to do everything else. Yeah. You could never get to those positions if you don't do that. Yeah. You know? um, talking about when you'll be surfing at your peak. So people's bodies do get in the way. And that's why all that CrossFit's important. Because I agree with your examples. Like Slater, he has all the wisdom. But his body being able to respond, that functional type fitness. And I don't mean to disparage Mike Ho at all. But Mike Ho walking down the beach looks a little stiffer than Slater or Taylor or Aki yeah. or any of them. Thankfully, that's okay when the waves are giant at back door. And you can you be a little stiff. Wisdom. He, exactly. That put him in the right <laughs> position, all that sort of stuff. But that's where I see Kelly is able to compete with, the, with Seth Moniz or whoever else is double the experience and wisdom. Plus, he's so attuned to his body and he keeps Highly it in such invested. good shape that it's like it will respond when he needs it to respond. You know? We don't know most of the shit that that dude is doing um, to take care of himself. He's always been wonderfully uh, private about it. But when he shows up, like he showed up to Hawaii, you're like, all right, clearly you've been hard at work. Yeah. Um, he's always been maniacal about um, what he puts into his body, you know, excess for him is like this much. Yeah, yeah. And in, in very small, small, small um, moments. And then the rest of it is like, this can't get in the way of the thing that I love. Um, and, you know, that all the way down to, to eating and sleep and all, all those things that we, we take for granted. But, um, yeah, it's so cool. It's just not, it's not something that we think is supposed to be happening. Right. I watched all the Tom Brady um, accolades and pieces and on SportsCenter and a bunch of places, and you look at all the comparisons that they make to other athletes. And I was really, I, was, I wasn't shocked. I guess I shouldn't be shocked, but like just really disappointed. I was like, how can you be talking about this and not talk about this dude? Like you can't, how can you can't have, you can't have conversation about greatest of all time and accomplishments and longevity and legacy without this guy being at the top of the conversation. It's ignorance on the spokesperson's behalf. They just don't know about it. Yeah. yeah. It, or sometimes they know, but they literally, there is still, we forget. No one cares about surfing. That's Yeah. No one, the only people who cared about surfing is surfers. Which I'm okay with, kind of. Yeah. Not bothered by yeah. it. Yeah. But you just have to, re when you when you find yourself wanting to be all gassed up and righteous about it, you have to be like, oh, hey, no one. 
Yeah. No one cares about this. Yeah. Now that it's an Olympic sport, once every four years, people care about it. Yeah. If it means, you know, your respective country, especially in America, bring home a medal. It was the same. It was and is the same way with snowboarding. Um, but I think when I think of the fact of the manner in which Kelly has transcended the sport, be one thing if he was just like, you know, the best to do it, but didn't transcend the sport into the rest of pop culture. He, he's a superstar. He's been on the cover of all the magazines. He's been associated with, you know, the supermodels. I mean, he's he's done it all. He's in, He's been a massive part of pop culture and done all these things. You know, Tom Brady, I believe in the last two years, said that's the greatest athlete alive. Oh, did he really? Yeah. I didn't know that. There's a quote out there of him talking about about Kelly. Um, so yeah, that's the only time when I'm just like, ah, oh, you guys are actually missing an opportunity. I'm not asking you to like to pander here. Like you're just missing an opportunity for a bigger conversation. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you've launched since the last time we spoke, Mommy Wada. Mm-hmm. What? Tell me about that origin story. What is it, and how did it become? Mommy Wada is a surf lifestyle brand out of South Africa, um, from Cape Town. I was in South Africa in 2017, and I had a friend, my friend Maria McCloy, told me, hey, you know, there's, she's, a, she's a fashion designer specializing in, in, in footwear, and there's all sorts of great, incredible um, designers in South Africa and around the continent um, that are having an influence on streetwear around the world, and she's one of them. And so I take her word seriously. She's like, you need to... You need to meet these guys in Cape Town. That this this is a very interesting thing that they're starting. And at the time, um, it was a small um, brand out of Cape Town that was shipping to various parts of the world, but all direct to consumer. I went down there, met them, was blown away by their little operation, gave me some stuff. The idea of a surf brand that was being told strictly through the lens of the continent. And what surf culture looks like in the continent um, was very appealing to me because most of the stories, the, the story that we get from the brands that we love are Southern Californian and Australian, maybe a little sprinkle of um, Hawaiian, um, but it's mostly a, you know, the surf lifestyle brand is mostly a South Australian, Southern Californian conversation. And in turn, it looks that way. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't grow up with any any brands um, where anyone that was wearing the things looked like me. It just wasn't a thing. So in turn, the perception of what a surfer is, people will always be shocked, continue to be shocked. They're like, oh, that's what you, you guys do that too? And a lot of that just, I think, has always had to do with the marketing of it um, and the perception of it. And so this idea of being able to tell another layer of, of surf lifestyle and what surf culture looks like through this distinctly African lens was very appealing to me, especially since people know about Africa, um, mostly from the perspective of like, one day I'd like to go on a safari there or, um, you know, climb Kilimanjaro or I'd like to see Jeffrey's Bay, maybe like go to go to Skeleton Bay. 
do that and get out. There's not much conversation about like wanting to get in and engage with the culture. Even most of how we story tell or have story told going to these places where we know there are waves has been very much like go plant a flag. We scored the locals cheered for us. We took a bow and we left, mm-hmm. you know, nothing about like what that place is or, or what is this place's history and relationship to the ocean. Um, and this larger conversation of people just not having an idea or a perception that like, African peoples have a very long history with being watermen in various parts of the country and what that looks like. And it goes back thousands and thousands of years. So, you know, more conversations. And um, I said, hey, I'd I'd love to be a part. They said, we'd love you to be a part of it. And so I um, became a co-founder in 2018 and worked to slowly bring it here. And we launched um, Mamiwata Surf U.S., in June of um, 2021. So we have a full active website here. Um, we're about to launch a pop-up store here uh, in Venice on Abbot Kinney. Wow. Um, that we'll do through the end of June. Holy it's going to have all sorts of really great activations and pop-ups and conversations. Um, and, yeah, it's been fun, man. It's been really fun to see the way people respond to a modern a modern lifestyle brand that um, a, a surf brand that is through the lens of like modern African design. Yeah. And, um, you know, we in turn, you know, this, what was really exciting was the launch of, uh, of the book, the Afro surf book that we, we were able to put out last year. Um, at the end of 2020 via Kickstarter, um, we did this book called Afro surf. 322 pages of this is what surfing looks like. Here's a slice of what surfing looks like on the African continent in these prospective regions and countries. You know, we did a map that sort of shows you uh, a slice of what all the spots look like, you know, uh, across the continent and on the various aisles. Um, And these first-person accounts from... South Africa, from Mozambique, from Liberia, from Ghana, um, you know, from these places where we just don't, we don't think about like, oh, like that place has a surf culture or a history with the ocean and here's what it looks like and here's how the, this, its local culture and its history um, affects what that looks and feels like getting access to like a different a different type of why people surf and what it means to them in these places um what that flair looks like you know i just got back from a trip to senegal in um mid-december to go and surf with sharif fall who now rides for billabong i think he's going to get on the on the billabong world team and dude the waves were were mental. Were like they really? Was, oh my god, so good. The level of surfing in Senegal is mind-boggling. Really? These kids. Th- there's a there's a, f- a future there that I'm very very excited about. And when you see Sharif, I think he's going to get his his. Uh, we got our fingers crossed that he'll get a visa to 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 come this year. 
he's going to blow people's minds. Like he's wow. six foot two. He's like a, he's like a Senegalese Owen Wright type body type, but like Owen Wright at his, at his, at his peak. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 25. And, um, it's just watching him surf. <laughs> it's just, I was just, it was, it was a blast, but their culture, their surf culture is, was, is just special and cool. And it was just dope to be out in the water and look out in the water and be like, Oh, 90% of the people who are out here looks like, look like me. And it's not a conversation piece. Yep. It just is. And this is, this is their why. And to sit with them and get to appreciate like how they do it have that commonality of, of this is the thing that we share, but it also means something else here. And this is what the vibe is. Um, what was the purpose of your trip? And did you document it? The purpose of my trip was strictly to surf and to go and hang with, uh, with Sharif. Oh, okay. Um, I did not document it. It was a bit of a research trip. As, I mean, truth be told, my... My immediate goals and what I'm actively working towards is turning Afrosurf the book into um, a docuseries. And, and oh, really? Taking it out on the road. That makes sense. I thought yeah. you were going to say magazine. I was like, don't do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I would Docu-series like. Docuseries makes sense. I would like to. I would like to do. To the, if I had the opportunity to do a show that can showcase the magic of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and of its of its, it's totally untapped. Like the stories that you would want to tell are totally untapped. Untapped. There's endless. You can do season after season, and by the way, it'll be developing through all of that. So yeah, by season five, go back to Senegal and revisit. Yeah, you know, like it's a lens into. Um, it's a very unlikely lens into like, hey, this is modern Africa, and it's cooler than you could have ever imagined, and has so much to offer and give that 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 we can relate to um is that's that's my goal you know that was my father's obsession before he passed he just wanted people to like be curious about africa and its peoples in the same way that they are you know going to southeast asia or or you know europe or any of the other south america all any of the places that we you know we have on our bucket list to go and like engage with people and culture, that was his desire for for people to understand that like Africa is not a country. Well, that's what I was going to say too. There isn't enough awareness about distinction between Mozambique and Senegal, let's say, and the cultural differences as there is Cambodia and Vietnam. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like we know what Cambodian food is. We know what Vietnamese food is and how different they are. People are still shocked to know that to discover that Egypt is on the continent. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or Morocco. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that South Africa is a country. Yeah. You know, and that these other countries aren't in it. Yeah. And, you know, it's just all of those things that just, you know, it's not actively taught, not prioritized. But, mm. you know, so much of what we have in the world is mined from is actually there's more that it's affecting your life that comes from Africa than most people know. Sure. So, um, back to mommy Wada. Did you say there was two guys that founded the clothing brand in South Africa? Yeah. Uh, what's their backstory? What are their names? What are their backstories? And then what was their? Did they have any ambition to do what it's now doing? Yeah. It's well, Andy Davis, who 
run ZigZag found, uh, in, in South Africa. And um, um, his partner, Nick, who actually came from, from sort of a, an advertising background. He okay. rose, raised in Cape Town, was in London, and then came back uh, to Cape Town. And um, those two got together, and that's how the conversation started. Got and it. Andy, you know, is I've gotten to know for a while now, um, as well as Nick Dutton. And, yeah, in that, that that that's how they came together. Like I said, you know, we met in late 2017, and it just popped off from there. Um, I'm sure you know a ton of people who are involved in the clothing business and people who have started clothing brands. That whole business is fraught with peril. I've also been down the road okay. in this business, in, in the clothing business, in this industry too many times. So, so yeah, why, super fraught with peril. There's obviously a tremendous opportunity here. How do you, I mean, have you run into any roadblocks along the way? Obviously COVID's a huge roadblock you didn't see coming. And then how do you, how are you going to accomplish it? What are you going to do with the brand? Is it shipping? Where is it shipping out of? What do some of the logistics look like? Yeah, so one of the things that we had to do was, apologies to the audience, my trash, it's trash day here. Um, persevere. In Venice. Um, one of the things we had to do was set up, set up uh, a fulfillment here in the States and um, be able to pe- pick and pack from, from here. Everything is manufactured on the continent and made of African cotton. So, you know, and that, that's, that's part of our premier sort of part of our story is that it's, it's literally made in Africa. And so that was a challenge, you know, and being able to set that up, being able to set up a legal business here um, and make it cost efficient to do so. Um, and then I think obviously the, the bigger challenge is, getting a Western audience to care and want to be invested and curious about an African brand. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big challenge because in general, um, there is sort of a, a, a convenient ignorance all the way down to apathy. Like why? Mm-hmm. When it comes to Africa in general. But, you know, the book has been, the, the way the world has reacted to the book gives me great, great hope yeah. that we can, we can do this with the brand. And the way people react to the brand and the T-shirts and the why, and then they find out, like, oh, this is African design, and they're like, wow, that's cool. I want more of that. Um, I think people always have this assumption that, like, oh, if it's from Africa, it's, it's going to, to, to mean that it's, it's got to be some tribal print. Like, mm. that's the extent of what... Africa is like not is dope modern design that's contributing to streetwear and pop culture around the world like when it, across the landscape you know um, from music to, to clothing to food to etc like all these things that help sort of shape what it looks like here you know when we the book was originally a, a Kickstarter for 1400 copies and we were thrilled all that money um, all the proceeds of the book go towards Waves for Change and Surfers Not Street Children. Right. So it's, it's a no, no direct profit to the brand. Um, 
obviously the brand capital and, and awareness, obviously, uh, of, of, of Mamiwata. But when we did that and then publishers started knocking on the door, I'm seeing those 1,400 copies. And next thing you know, like, book publishers are like, hey, would y'all like to do this for real? I'm like, huh? oh, um, yes, actually. But when we were pitching the idea to people, they thought it was cute. Yep. But like, ah, who will be interested? Then you see the book. And next thing you know, Penguin Random House and their imprint, 10-speed press, come along. 10,000 copies. No way. 20,000 copies. 30,000 copies. Crazy. Globally. And selling, selling through, I mean, I've seen it on Amazon and stuff. but Amazon, but, and selling through, through big bookstores across the country. Amazing. Yeah, and like bookstores featuring it, prom, featuring it prominently amongst their coffee table books or, you know, outdoor lifestyle culture books. I, I get tagged in the photos all the time. Right, right. During holiday, it was insane. You know, New York Times had it number one on their, you know, holiday coffee table book gift guide, which you don't know is a thing <laughs> until yeah, yeah. you're in it. But the response and the reviews are always the same. I had no idea that this existed. I would like to know more. This looks rad. I would love to go there. Wow, this person's story, that person's story. Senegal looks amazing. You know, all, all these, these things that I didn't know about these places. You know, using it as a as essentially like a, a Trojan horse of, of sorts to get people excited about Africa. Like to be like excited and curious yeah. about the continent and um, the rich, rich, rich diversity that lies within its 54 countries. Yeah. And the brand itself. Yeah. And the, which and, is helpful. And the brand And itself. the brand will then continue to do, provide the education that you're talking about. Yeah. Storytelling. That Storytelling. And, um, you know, the goal is for the, just like, you know, I, I think of the early storytelling of, of, of Billabong, right? And, and like, what's a Billabong? And what's this region like? And, 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 and all of that mysteriousness that made it cool. It was the intrigue that drew you in. That's what drew entirely. you in. Entirely. It was that, was that intrigue. Why, why not the same type of intrigue about the thing except coming from the basically like the birthplace of civilization. So what is a Mamiwata? Mamiwata is a deity, um, an ocean deity, a mother, mother, mother water, West African. Um, and my father had a song called Mamiwata. No way. It was in 1975. Was the name for the brand already selected before you got involved? Yeah. Wow, kismet. Yeah. Crazy. Like, I'll, I'll play you a sample of what it sounds like. I'll play it as the outro music for this um, episode. I had remembered the song as a kid, but I didn't stop to think about it mm -hmm. until... It's literally all he says. Right from
crazy. Amazing, yeah, it's uh, I know that if he was here, he would just be he would be so amped, man. <sighs> he would be so amped. Well, proof of con- in terms of like people being interested in the brand, that intrigue, I think that's there. If the clothes feel cool, if they look cool. So people will do that first purchase if they're happy with the product. Then it all comes down to you being able to fulfill all that, yeah. scale it, get enough stuff here in time to fulfill those orders all and those all that things. sort of stuff. So how involved are you in all of that process? I was on calls literally all morning before you got here. It's a big I, part of your day. It's a big part of my day. It's you know it's an hour or so um, of of my day, usually in the mornings because. Most of my team is in South Africa, but that, but then we have uh, our team here, um, and it's been you know recruiting others who have skill sets that I know can make help us make a difference, and that comes from the you know thirty years that I had have I've had in this business. You know, my every before I was doing television, I, I worked in the industry a clothing company, so having those relationships helps. You know? Do you- are you guys looking for placements in retail, or you want to sell? Yeah, no, we or? we we are we are we're doing placements in oh, okay. retail. You know, Got we have it. some exciting things coming um, with Pilgrim. Um, oh, okay. You know, doing some things with Noah. Uh, we're we have a really 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 cool um, collab that we'll announce at the end of the summer that I think is going to blow people away with a retailer uh, with another brand okay. uh, in the industry. Um, and so yeah, it's um, it's that D to C, but also like really curating um, a small group of loyal retailers um, that are down for it and want to and believe in it and want to and, and want to help see this thing come to fruition. Um, any plan for team riders at any point? Ambassadors, yes. Um, team riders would be amazing because that means we've been successful and and we are. But I think even our te- what our team rider program will look like will be a lot different than your standard brand. I think the reasons why people will ride for us and be ambassadors won't be, be because they're the best in the world. Yeah. The whole team rider um, equation is different now. It is. It's kind of brand specific and team rider specific. Yeah. There isn't just one way to do that. And that's what I think is so great now about... I agree. About... about the surfing landscape now. Everyone's realizing that yes, the top twenty-four and seventeen, though they're the best in the world that do the thing, and we all, the trickle down of, of that skill set constantly being pushed, elevates the whole. But also, like, there's all sorts of folks down here that you can be inspired by, that aren't the best in the world, but that actually love and live the thing, just as hard, obviously in a different way and direction but like their stories are worthy of being told and to be honest they could also be the best in the world just at doing it differently than yes gabriel does it exactly yeah athleticgreens.com slash surf there is no need for me to belabor this point especially because you probably already know that it's entirely true but athleticgreens.com slash surf is your best method to achieve and maintain dietary health and wellness without which mental health and physical health is not possible. 
This is also the fastest and the easiest method to achieve all of that stuff. It is a whole food sourced one scoop of powder that you add to eight ounces of water. You drink it on an empty stomach once a day. It has vitamins, nutrients, minerals, probiotics, all of the dietary essentials that you need in your diet that you may be supplementing currently with a dozen other pills, plus juicing, plus raw greens, trying to achieve what this one convenient powder can do for you in one scoop. And even better, you don't have to go to the store to get it. You don't need to go to the store to refill it. They simply send it to your door monthly. You just set it and forget it. Athleticgreens.com surf. Using that slash surf keeps us in business and it gets you a free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs of AG1. So you can maintain your diet while you're on the road or at work or wherever. So athleticgreens.com slash surf. Thank you and enjoy. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Tell me about your experience with the Olympics. Japan. Is it, it a positive experience? It was positive to be there on the beach and to be a part of it. It was really, really difficult. The circumstances of 
of the lockdowns and you know the, the the COVID of it all was very 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 real. Like I never physically was in the same space as any of the athletes. Like it's we, crazy to think we about. talked to each other from across barriers and fences, and you wanted to be like, hey, but you know all of those things, coaching staff, etc. I saw them, but I never was able to get to them. Um, but being able to be there and get those first moments and responses, you know, my interview with Carissa, I had a blast, you know, just to be able to sit and see the joy, to see the level of, of the stakes of defeat, you know, was very, very real. I think, I remember Steph, you know, Steph Gilmore, you know, really feeling the weight of not having been able to accomplish the task in a different way than in any other event. You know, I, m- I remember seeing Ramsey Buchheim, like in the parking lot as I was going to get in, in, into our car to go home after he lost, just like like he just lost the world title. Yeah. You know, it was, um, it was, it, so it was powerful that way. You could see the, the, the appreciation of why we're here and what this means and that for, you know, three days, the entire world cared about surfing for for a, a small part of uh of time and that was that was new and, and and cool and also kooky in ways um but it was what what the surfers did in those waves and in those conditions was incredible yeah i mean it was they they found another gear i mean that that last day with the the, the crazy tides and rain and wind and like side currents in 50 different directions. I mean, that wave that, uh, that Italo took off on in the final and, and broke his board. Like I, you wouldn't wish that on someone you hated. Like I was there on the beach. The thing was, it was, it was, it was freaky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool. I think, you know, the last week I was there, I got to actually, I finally got out of quarantine and I could uh, see Japan a little bit. And that was cool because the first two weeks it was literally like in your van to your venue, in your zone in the venue, back to your hotel and wow. nowhere else. So you, I didn't feel like I was in the country Yeah. other than like job. what I saw out of the window. Yeah. Um, you know, we couldn't go to a restaurant. We couldn't eat outside of our hotel or any of those things. Um, but, you know, we got through it. I didn't I didn't feel burdened by it. I wasn't pissed at the Japanese government like they were going through their first explosion of COVID and they were like. Yes, and also like know that y'all are here. <laughs> you know, you could you could feel that. But um, I think one of my favorite memories of the Olympics were the Japanese volunteers that were working at the venue, specifically at the surfing venue. Like they were the audience, and the amount of respect and adoration that they showed all the competitors even after someone lost, like they would all gather together behind this fence from a distance and clap and cheer loudly and let someone know that they were felt Hmm. um, and acknowledged. And you'd see athletes who had just like, you know, lost, feeling crushed, you know, they'd look up after they do their interviews and they'd get this welcome and they broke people on a regular basis. No one ever got to see that. And it was even like for it, like the cheer that they gave Italo as if he was Japanese. Um, 
it was it was powerful. Yeah, that was my like literally my favorite part of of, of being there. It's and it's just just for this for this human connection reminder that you see in a very small way of like oh, you know, fuck a language barrier or cultural differences etc. Like we're in this frequency right now, and yeah, these yeah. people want to make sure that that they know that they're seen. They're, I mean, culturally, they are known for being respectful. And so it makes sense that they would yeah. go out of their way to show that level of respect. Yeah. But they, you know, like they, they want to make sure that that person yeah. knew. It yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. performative. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a professional commentary question. Sure. Just coming off of the pipe event. Mm-hmm. The, um, as amazing as the event was and the performances that we saw, my kind of main criticism of the event was what wasn't being said through a lot of the commentary. And I'm curious if you have any insights into why things aren't being said. For example, the women were supposed to run on the finals day of the men. They were going to run simultaneously. The WSL said, we're going to run the men in the women's finals. And then they continue to run men quarters into men's semis without commenting on the women or where they are. Then they were going to run the semifinals or the, yeah, the semifinals of the women between the semifinal of the men and the final of the men. They finally pitched to Jesse and she says, we're going to run the women tomorrow, but that's it. They don't say why they don't say what changed. So that's one thing. The other thing is Ross Williams talking endlessly about Kelly being in first place, potentially going to, have a 12th world title without commenting on what Kelly's been commenting on publicly, mm. which is he's probably not vaxxed, probably not going to get vaxxed and therefore won't make it to Australia. Yeah. So these conversations that are happening in the surf world at large and the WSL existing in this vacuum. Yeah. For the, for the corporation. Okay. Maybe they exist in the vacuum, but why are the commentators not engaging in the conversation? I think that it is a uh, it is a huge miss, and it's one of the main problems um, within the broadcasts in general. Um, and that comes from the integrity to story not being made the the biggest stake of importance for the commentators. In other words, it's not being produced that way. That hey, these are the headline stories um, that we are going to talk about in the midst of the competition about what's going around on around this person or that person, or um, hey, wait a minute, there's been a change here. What's happening? Like, let's get a why. There's not a lot of going after the why. Uh, you said it's not being produced that way. Do you think there is a mandate that we're not going to talk about this? I don't know. I don't know if there is a mandate about uh, we're not talking about this. I know that I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> have you been invited? I have not been invited. Okay. No, I haven't been invited. You've um, worked with the WSL at times. I've done two events. I did Jeffries, and I I did Jeffries in 2019, and I commented. Or I yeah I was on the VIP headset or whatever at uh, on Championship Day oh, okay. um, at Lowers, but I have That's not I have not worked a WSL event 
as through, a commentator. As a commentator since the WSL was formed. I've done the Vulcan Pipe Pro, yep. which I was doing for Red Bull, but I haven't worked uh, a WSL event. Would you want to work with the WSL? I have been open um, to the idea of working with, with the WSL. I love commentating surfing. Yeah. My approach is different. Is that why you haven't been invited? <laughs> I can say this. In the first iteration of their management um, and with the, their original commissioner uh, of, of not, was it commissioner? What do you call him? KP was the commission. No, not, not, yeah, so not commissioner, um, president. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, the old, the, the old sort of. of Paul of, Speaker? Yes. Okay. CEO. CEO, thank you. Not commissioner. Um, yeah, they, they were definitely not trying to fuck with me. Got it. And it was, it was understood. I had, I had a couple of meetings. One of the meetings was, got a bit confrontational. Oh, wow. And I was like, all right, blessings to you. I'm good. What was the separation of, uh, ideas? The separation of ideas in, in that original meeting was like, I'm coming from 13 years Actually, 13 years at ESPN um, with actual, like, journalistic, this is how we're going to storytell. And so I was excited at the opportunity of being able to create dialogue where we're, we're having the, the big conversations. And I didn't want to be dictated to, you know, in, in how I was going to storytell. Within that meeting, it felt like you're going to, you're, you, we, we respect what you've done, but we're going to do things our way. But no one could tell me what our way meant. Got it. And so I was just like, all right, it's clearly a vibe here that you're looking for some yes men, and I ain't that dude. Yeah. So we didn't work together. In this next iteration, um, I've had healthy meetings with, um, with Elo about where they're going, and we've dipped our toe into like yeah I'd, I'd be open again I have a, a I've never felt tension in my conversations with them but it's never led to hey we want you to be a part of our broadcasting team um, as part of the championship tour that's just never been an offer and I don't I don't take offense to it it's just I'm I might not be the fit for, for what yeah. they're looking for sure um, and it's fine that the detail that you said, they, nobody could tell you, with a previous uh, management, nobody could tell you what the direction was. I've seen that as a common denominator throughout the different management that has come and gone. And by the way, it has shifted multiple times. Um, there isn't a visionary in place who knows exactly where the ship is going and running everything through that filter in the way that Steve Jobs did, you know, or these yeah. other kind of visionaries do. I would also, yeah. And I would say that, like, there's also not a line of demarcation between the league and the broadcast. In other words, the NBA runs the games, right? Yeah. The broadcast is going to speak on right. all of the things. Totally. Same thing within the NFL. Um, to a degree. NFL probably might have a little bit more say, but, like, they still have to address the shit that's in the world. 
so yeah, I, I, I was the, the big question as the number one surfer in the world has not stated yet whether or not this will be his swan song or not. Um, you know, does he take the cap off and say thank you after what just took place at Pipeline or does he try to continue to run and then in turn, like, yes, what are the potential barriers? Um, it's given, given Given the world that we are in and given, given that he has been immensely public yeah. about his feelings. You're not I mean, even outing him. I mean, the, the New York Times, you know... The New York Times comment section with when he was talking to people in the comment section regarding Djokovic, like that was that was a huge deal. Like we've never seen that before. He was very, very public about his specific feelings. And like you said, you get the sense that yes, he's probably that he probably does not have a vaccinated status. And in turn, how would that affect his movements moving forward? For some reason, that's not being chosen as a applicable storyline to the championship tour. It's um, the other one that I didn't mention that they didn't talk about was when they did run the women, the women not going on waves. There's countless perfect pipe waves just rolling through spitting. Both surfers need scores, you know, and Cote, who I love is just going, these women are heroic yeah. They're warriors. And I'm like, well, this now, you said the not paying your main kind of integrity to the storyline. This now feels uh, like it lacks integrity because you're not representing what we're all clearly witnessing. And and, the, and by the way, it's not to shame no. the surfers. My vision for, or what the WSL I think should always be pushing towards is man and woman versus nature. Yes. If you just focus on man and woman versus nature, it'll solve a lot of the other problems they're running into. And so that can be the conversation in that heat, which is, this is scary as hell out here. It's, it's funny. It's so scary. This massive waves coming and they're not even going. That's so what's interesting is that there was the heat between. Oh. Was it the women? No, it was the men. And I think it was in the quarters. Um, so it went Kelly Kanoa, mm -hmm. then it went Miguel Pupo and Luca Messinas, maybe? So in the Miguel Pupo-Luca Messina heat, they talked extensively about these guys not pulling the trigger. Right. And being intimidated yes. and or scared and all of these things. They were like, till the cows came home and that we're going to see something different in the next heat. And then... Which also wasn't necessarily the entirety of the context because the conditions were changing, but they were also like not throwing themselves over the ledge. They were being very particular and they called that out. Yep. Not even call it out, just addressed it. Okay. And I think that in order to elevate Moana's win, you have to highlight what is not taking place among, amongst the best women in the world and that this is the most intimidating playing field on earth and the fact that this woman who lives locally has put in the work sacrificed to have this moment means so 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 much because these are the best women in the world and yes 
on Thursday when it was a few feet smaller, the, even the difference between five, six foot, you know, backdoor and pipe and eight to 10 foot with occasional bigger, that it's two different places and two different scope and the hows and the whys so that you are able to appreciate the moment of what this means for women surfing that they are getting this opportunity and here's what the future looks like. And also we have immense points of reference of what that looks like going to Chopes, going to, to, to Cloudbreak. These are all similar things that took place until the women's field were able to get the reps and gain that confidence. You had how many women talking about in their interviews that about the marvel of being able to be out there and not be fighting for waves um, and to get the opportunity to push themselves. And you saw the emotional response in real time when people had their moments. There was that Lakey Barrel where she came out and she was like, oh, God, like, yes, that this happened. We saw that repetitively. We saw that with Carissa even. You saw it multiple times. So the idea that, like, that's how you elevate the finals day. You don't put it, you don't ignore it, and you don't try to put it on par with the men because this, this is the first opportunity, and they, there is so much con contextual reference and storytelling and pulling shit up from all these other waves of consequence in the world to help the audience appreciate how important this movement is and what the future is going to look like. Yeah. And I thought that, I just thought from a storyline basis in general, opportunities were, were definitely missed um, to, to really pick the stories and stick with them. But Completely missed. And it's just... Again, I, I just want to say, I don't fault, I don't fault the commentators because they're not being instructed and set up to tell those stories and they're not being made to they're not being given authority Maybe to use not. the wholeness of their voice i don't know that that's true if it i assume that that is true that's my assumption i assume that it is true as well because i certainly know that all of them know the kelly story and the reason why they're actively not discussing it i mean you have to make an active decision to avoid that conversation it must be a mandate from above because it would make their job so much easier and by the way it's much more compelling narrative. If I was a non-surfing viewer who I tuned into that event, I'd be like, oh yeah, Djokovic. I know this, this is a storyline. Oh, Andy's 50. Andy could get his, he's first in the world. Andy could get his 12th world title and he's gonna forego all of that because he doesn't want to get back. This is fascinating. I'm gonna follow him on Instagram, see how this develops. You know, like it just, why wouldn't you? It's, it's insane a, to me. Yeah, it's a, it is a missed opportunity, but also like that's always been surfing. It's always been there is an incestuality to all of it. And a uh, 100% agree. And that's a problem. And so the idea of like going there um has always been fairly touchy in the entire landscape of surf journalism. And it's a problem, dude. When I'm watching Kaipo interview Kelly, which was a epic interview with Kelly after he won, when they're in that little hallway and Kelly's crying, Kaipo and Kelly are friends and Kaipo puts that first in the interview. And there's missed opportunities there because Kelly says, 
I don't know. I may not go to sunset. I've got to have a conversation with myself the next couple of days. The next question without even foregoing your friendship is why? Right. What's behind Are that? you considering retiring? That's, that's when we got to go to like ask. You don't have to make accusations, but you have to ask questions that, we're that wondering. allow for response that aren't yes and no's in that moment. This is a singular. And I'm just, I'm just going off of how I was taught. And like the endless, the endless interviewing commentary seminars of forming story that I was flown to Bristol, Connecticut for at ESPN, I don't know how many times to sit amongst the best in football and track and field, et cetera, et cetera, and have these three day, literally three day seminars where you, there's 500 people in the room and they're throwing your best shit and your worst shit up on a video screen for critique with an ombudsman being like, here's where we're missing it, and here's where we're exposed as a network and why it's your responsibilities as journalists to da-da-da-da-da. Even if you're a retired player, what have you, this is why. It's not to to build uh, or to be antagonistic. No. It's just we can't leave this shit on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm watching that knowing Kaipo is going to dodge the question, and I'm sitting there as the viewer going, Kaipo, you're supposed to be on my side. You're supposed to ask the question for me, but I know you're not going to because you're his buddy. And sure enough, Kaipo lays down on, you know, and he's just like, well, anyways, thanks for sharing so much. No, he's ready to share more. You just got to pro, pro, yeah. probe and, him a little and, bit. And you, there's a way to do that in a way that your subject doesn't have any choice but to respect you. It's not a gotcha situation. Kelly was willing to. He, I felt like he was willing to in that But moment. again, if you're not... And here's, again, where I say that's not how these broadcasters are trained exactly. and taught. They're not taught to pursue story and the why, and they also don't know their responsibility. They don't know that that position traditionally comes with a responsibility towards the audience in these ways, and so here are the questions that you ask accordingly. So if you're not taught that, and, you're, and it's not being mandated. Right. Mandated, like, hey, this is part of your job description, and here's why, and here's our ethos around that. Then, if it happens, it happens by accident. Right. Which, for me, was problematic on two levels. Number one, it alienates me as the core viewer because I'm witnessing what's happening and they're not commenting on it. All these waves are pumping through and they're not saying those girls aren't going or whoever, whatever it was. And then the second thing is the new viewing audience, you're not giving them anything to sink their teeth into. No, and the new viewing audience comes from watching, whether it be, you know, um, Formula One. Right? Sit and watch a, a Formula One race, and <laughs> you'll know what, the, what, what, what those people had for breakfast at a certain point. You know what I mean? Like, and they're also super technical. They're su giving you all this technical stuff that I don't know, but I now want to know. All, super technical, and they're also giving me like all the reasons why and what the stakes are between these drivers, yeah. what's happened from race to race, all those things. That's just not, again, that's not the consistency of, of the product that's being built. So if you are a new viewer, unless you're just solely fascinated by the surfing, it is hard to be compelled to want to come back because that those storylines aren't being driven and every sort of event sort of is like a new best place in the world 
da 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 yeah. and blah, 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 and, and happy-go-lucky. hyperbole and positivity and no, yeah. no critical a- analysis. Na- na- analysis, yeah. It's driving me insane. I but. can't tell. <laughs> and listen, I'm not going to lie. I, it didn't drive me insane because I wasn't surprised. Yeah. But I was wholly and highly aware of it. And I there was a part in my brain that made me think like, no, they they can't. It exists in the world, so they're not going to ignore that. Or even I was I was shocked with with uh, with the way it, it went in the in the women's rounds as well. But then it was, and then at the end of it, it's like, also yes. I mean, this is this is what it is. Yeah. So um, speaking of conversation, having meaningful conversation. Last time we spoke, you had not launched your podcast yet. What shapes us? <laughs> so why podcasting? I I enjoy getting into um, the common events that that finding commonality um, in in how people have gotten to where they are. Um, I think. The, you know the tagline for my for my podcast is the incidents and accidents um, that shape us um, as human beings and as a society and as a culture. And so, over the course of my years, to be able to have access to in some of the best athletes, uh, artists, activists, um, people working in a, at a at a high level. Um, in in various directions and spaces, and then being able to have similar types of conversations with them, I'm curious. It's selfish for me. Like I'm really, really curious about what makes people tick, or, or where they get able to have the aha moments, or where what they're able to overcome um, to do to do what they do, but also like how that affects us entirely, entirely as a society. Um, and being able to comment um, on where I'm at in in my life, uh, in, in in the world that we're in today, and, you know, wherever the stories um, in in my past um, sort of come up and you know uh, affect that, you know. So I don't know. I, I I enjoy the medium. Yeah, me too. I really enjoy the medium. Um, but it's funny. I think I told you this before. Like I've. I enjoy being on this side of it. I've enjoyed being on this side of it. And I was really, in, it was, it's been super intimidating to embrace that I can be on the side of it that you are. Um, but, which, which is weird because on camera, you're often on this side. On camera, I'm mostly on that side. Yeah. But yeah, just like, again, I told you at the beginning of the conversation, like just weird filter that of my, of my brain that, says no no you don't get to do that too. It took me it took me 30 years to decide to finally make music because I told myself I wasn't allowed to do so even though I knew how to do it. <laughs> and your dad like <laughs> you come from like yeah. But I was like no you're the one who should be empowered to do it. But I'm finally here now and I'm having fun and I'm excited for people to uh to, uh, to tap into it. I was going to, so that was actually my question. Are you having fun? How did season one go? Are there any highlights? And then who do you got on tap for season two? And when does it launch? Um, 
I would say that season one was so built within the summer of 2020 and that the, the, the after effects of the summer of 2020. And it was great to be able to have these big conversations about where we are at as a society, um, especially when it comes to race relations in America um, and how, how that affects areas of our life that we are unaware of. And gaining knowledge of that can, can make you feel one of two ways. I want to know more or that's not true. Stop talking about it which we're seeing actively in real time, right? And now this, like, ginning up of, you know, fake culture wars in, a, in order to um, make it so that the people who want you to stop talking about it don't ever get curious enough to learn why you don't want them to. You know, so we got all this fucking fake book banning and book burning and, like, super performative stuff that just says, like, yeah, I don't want to know what I don't know. Mm. Um, and just if you stop talking about it, it won't exist. And my, my children don't need to feel bad and, and all this other like insidiously genius stuff that's been invented to make people feel okay about what they don't know. And um, it, was, it was awesome to have some, some powerful conversations in that direction. I think now the podcast will be, and that was of the time. Yeah. I did, I did not have a choice. That's where we were at. Also, obviously, you know, I was not being shy about uh, in the manner in which I think that it has affected um, our and affects our community um, within the surfing landscape. And um, now I, I, I'm I'm happy to be having a host of varied conversations. I'm not going to shy away from from those subjects as they need to be discussed, but it's not going to be the, um, it's not going to be the, uh, the whole of it at all. You know, I just had a really great, incredible conversation with John Rose, um, about his journey from pro surfer to, um, what he's done with waves for water and his challenges in identity and what that means. And it was, it's awesome. I've known Rose since he was, since he was, um, you know, Quicksilver supermodel, sort of pioneering what being a free surfer looks like, mm-hmm. and to learn bits of his story about like how he was ba- about to retire when he accidentally got a cover of Surfing Magazine. That's right. And then that sort of launching his like, the, them being like, go out and get more of that, and then him going on this this lifestyle free surfer run and being real good looking and all the weird shit that came with that. And, you know, getting into his divorce and his relationship with his father and what his father and how he came into surfing in his relationship with his father, which is insane. And how that gave him a window into opportunity for even thinking about something like a waves for water. Um, You know, it was, it was, it was powerful, you know, sitting and talking with him about that earthquake in Padang and being on the boat and then coming back to, to Padang and the hotel he was supposed to be in is flattened. And then his life just going, Psh. And so to be able to sit and, like, really unpack that with someone you know and learn about um, the hows and whys of, 
going back to when they were a kid of what has them where they're at today. I, I, I like the, uh, the idea of being able to have the type of conversations where the people at home are able to, to be like, oh, I, I, know, what the, I know that feeling. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, to be able to find commonality, even though these people are existing, doing these things that are, look like they're on another planet, they're actually right here. We're all, we're all right here trying to fucking figure it out. Um, and so, yeah, I've, you know, there's him. I have this uh, director friend named Rada Blank who, who wrote. I, w- I watched it. Oh, you the, the, the 40-year-old version. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, on yeah. Netflix on a Netflix. couple months ago. Yeah. It was hilarious. I, d- I had no idea who she was. I yeah. just watched it, and then I researched, and I was like. Yeah, so I did a short with her in 2015. Okay. Um, I met her through an actress friend of mine, Joy Bryant. And at the time, she was just kind of hustling and had been running up against walls as a writer. And then finally, you know, and she'd wrote, written on some things, but no one wanted to make her shit. And then finally, what happens when this woman in her mid-40s finally gets a chance, because her friends believe in her, to write, direct, and star in her own vehicle that ends up winning Sundance and becoming a hit on Netflix. Did it win Sundance? Yeah. Maybe I forgot that. I must yeah. have read that. It was in 2020. Good then for a her, man. Jeez, a little thing please. called the pandemic happened like three weeks later. Right, right, right. But um, yeah, so to be able to, to have that conversation. I'll listen to that for sure. Yeah, That's it's, it's up right now. So um, yeah, it's kind of this, it's across the board. Like I'm really tapping into the entirety of my landscape and I want people to feel like you know, you never know who you're going to get, um, but it's going to be good. Good. Um, I'm glad that you mentioned the summer of 2020 because I actually forgot. I didn't put this in my notes, but I wanted to ask you about it. Um, we must have surfed that Palm Springs wave pool around that time because I remember you were fielding a bunch of calls mm. while we were there that day. From I, like That was escape from, from Los Angeles for me that day. Was it? Like I had to escape the all of the, the, the police um, checkpoints and the, what was beginning to be military checkpoints really? to get on the freeway to get out of Venice that day. Because they on were the expecting freeway. rioting? Or? Oh, rioting was, I mean, shit had got, was out of control. Oh. Like, people had gotten shot on my street really? that day. The day that I left out of here, there were more helicopters out of here than... This whole sky, like what you were seeing on the news was my neighborhood. Crazy. And, you know, the, what people don't understand is that, 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 that point between protest and uh, chaos and what lights those fires is, is, is real. And the level of an, an antagonism that goes on um, and that was going on during that time was was very very real very real this city was city was insane man so anyway like getting out of la that day felt like i felt like i escaped something and crazy those waves like even sitting in that pool i remember it being like what planet am i on right now and i also felt weird and guilty i didn't even know i was supposed to be there that day that was a trip well you were getting a bunch of phone calls from people in the surf industry because uh, Black Lives Matter, all these companies felt like they needed to make some sort of public statement about it. 
And so they call their black friend in action sports to get either, I don't know, maybe give you a seat on the board or certainly ask your advice or something. But my question is, how much of those conversations are still happening now? Or, or how much of them actually enacted, how many of them actually enacted in real terms the conversations that you had then? I would say there are a handful of brands that have decided to make inclusivity just a, a part of their fabric of how how what makes their brand their brand. A very, very, very small handful. Okay. I think there were a lot of brands at the time that suddenly felt like, ah, we have to do something. If we don't do something or say something, you know, we're going to lose everything. They all did. And most of them, like, said something, but very, very few have chosen to do anything. I got an email from all of them, <laughs> you know, clothing brand or whatever it was, just saying, here's our stance on this. Yeah. I go, you never said this before. And then I click over to their website and look at the models that are wearing their clothing and it doesn't reflect what you just, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it, it, two years later or a year and a half later, you know, you can look at the brands um, and see who's done what. I'm not, um, this isn't the landscape to um, re report card, which there are some people who I have conversations with on a regular basis um, because they're enacting and doing, and they'll ask me for a point of view, not to tell them what to do, but just to bounce things off to get my perspective. Gotcha. Um, because they want to make sure that they're not being performative. And does it make sense? And I've seen some 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 brands that have, you know, hired and um, the right people uh, of color or, or or from marginalized groups. You know, they're seeing some brands really take on ambassadors and tell their stories um, that, like we were talking about before, wouldn't be considered your norm, but in turn are having a huge effect and maybe making people curious about um, this other end of what the lifestyle can look like. So, yeah, there are efforts, but not much at all. I've also seen plenty of people in this business who have made sure to, to 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 let people know that they don't care it's not a thing and um you know we won't be deterred yeah from this is what it looks like to be you know an american and why are you bringing this into surfing and all that other stuff which i just don't have time well for the consumer will decide and yeah. they you know what i mean and it's like um They'll support, they'll buy yeah, Mommy they'll Wada if it buy. looks cool, and that's the story that they're interested in hearing. Exactly. And then they'll, other companies will go bankrupt. Yeah, and I, I don't want to wake up, I don't want to wake up and talk about it. Like No, of course. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that in relation to this conversation. No, it's just I like, I don't wake up and be like, all right, I hope I get to talk about some, 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 some racist shit today or, you know, the, the ways in which, you know, the construct of, of, of supremacy in this country like continues to affect things that shit is all like super exhausting um but when when it's there and it needs to be addressed i'm i'm gonna address it yeah. and it's a platform I, I i not for me but for for f to hopefully affect 
what the future can look like. I don't have any delusions that like everyone suddenly is just going to wake up and everything's going to change. But I do get excited, like I said, when I go to Senegal and, and I'm like, oh, the world's about to learn some shit. Like, this is so cool that this, yes, and this, and this, and this. Um, it's exciting. Like from a surfing standpoint, it's just exciting that the unexplored is still out there. Like you don't have to just go to Hawaii again or Australia again. There's a lot to explore that. So much, so much. And that's the thing. It's like, I encourage people to, to be, if, if you, if you can choose to be relentlessly curious, um, you'll never be bored. You know what I mean? Like you'll, you'll constantly be surprised at who you'll learn totally. about and what their experiences are. And, and be inspired in a myriad of ways for the short time that we're all here. So yeah. it's a blip. Yeah. Uh, last time I finished the conversation by asking whose boards you're riding or what was the last board you rode. And it was, I think a five, eight electric ninja mm -hmm. from Ryan Harris. Yeah. Whose boards are you riding now? And what was the last board? I have a stoked ninja that I did in collaboration with Ryan Harris. It's a six O that I love. It's kind of a, a stretched out electrical ninja with less volume that allows you to play and perform but still catch waves. Okay. Is it a thruster? It is a thruster. Okay. Um, but I can also set it up. I have ridden it as a quad. Super fun. And then... Hmm, I had the Dan Man Rob Machado combo. The collab... Um, is that the seaside? Not the seaside. It's uh, same construction, but the seaside is just is just Rob. But he okay. did a board with uh, Dan Man. Huh. Um, I don't think I've seen it. That is amazing. It's like a it's unfair, like a one stop shop quiver killer. What size is? What, is it round nose? Is it? It's a no. It's a it's a it's a short board. It's a I think it's I ride it as a six one. Okay. Yeah. Huh. It's awesome. I've not seen that. I'll show it to you after we're done. Okay. Is it on the market already? I think they're about to drop it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's why I haven't yeah. seen it. Awesome. Well, Salema, mm -hmm. this has been awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks it's, for taking the time. I'm very, very humbled uh, to be able to have the conversation with you. It was such an enjoyable time that we, any time that we have. And Thank literally, you. like, when I got the call, I was like, he must be bored. Um, <laughs> not at all. You're, you're A-list. <laughs> top, pri top priority, <laughs> fan favorite. People want to know. Uh, well, thank you for the time. Man. All right, man. Thank you. Cheers. There you have it. Another great episode with Salema. Um, every time, he just brings his A-game. He's raw, he's candid, he's honest, and I think provides a lot of insights for self-reflection and um, balancing life and work and all of that stuff. So thank you very much. I've linked to the What Shapes Us podcast, to Mami Wada, to the Afro Surf book, and everything that we discussed. His dad's music, the Michael Hobaro, the Kelly Slater pipe stuff. 
the wave key stuff it is all on surfsplendorpodcast.com come check it out leave a comment at the bottom of the page for salema i'll make sure that he sees that and then of course consider subscribing to our work here for five dollars a month it'll probably go unnoticed for you that five dollars missing from your bank account but it really does add up for us and um, each subscription is just one brick one building block for our business and in the last year uh, and a few months since we've launched it it's changed everything for us it's provided stability we can plan we can archive episodes appropriately and all that stuff so thank you for your consideration there it also supports scott bass who co-produces and hosts a podcast with myself called spit you can grab that every well every tuesday or wednesday depending on our schedules but we just dropped one this week recapping the pipeline event and then it also helps support Chaz over on the grit and we're dropping an episode of that tomorrow covering everything that's happened in surf news and gossip this past week so go grab that as well and the brewer brothers over at hardcore surf history just dropped a new episode about women's surfing the pioneers of women's surfing and they do a great job of recapping uh, that history and then scott bass has dropped a new episode of the boardroom show so go and grab that as well lots of podcast content to keep you busy And that's it for me, David Scales, for Surf Splendor. I'll be back here next week with all new episodes of everything that I just discussed. And so until then, I'm, of course, wishing you well, encouraging you, as always, to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and as always, shred on. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.